Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. TV voice of the Cincinnati Reds, and you're up for Late Night Reds Talk. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Late Night Reds Talk Live, part of the Believe Podcast Network, sponsored as always by our friends at Bet Online. My name is Nick Kirby, and we are so excited to have you with us tonight as we continue our series previewing each of the National League Central teams tonight with the St. Louis Cardinals. We have got the Athletics beat reporter for the Cardinals, Katie Wu, with us tonight. And we'll get to her in just a moment. But first, I heard a rumor that the Cincinnati football team is playing in the NFL semifinals. I went over to our friends at Bet Online to see what the line was, and they have the Bengals as seven point underdogs. Carlos, the world wants to know can the Bengals cover the seven point spread on the road? If I was betting right now, I would say yes, but I feel like I'd probably change my mind. All right, all right. Well, if you are with Carlos, head on over to the new updated and mobile website for Bet Online. You can sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV. That is BLEAV to get started. Uh, Bet Online is where the game starts. All right. We are excited to have uh, Katie Wu on with us tonight. Katie, how are you doing? I'm good. You know, as good as it can be for a January Monday night with like maybe some optimism about baseball, maybe not. We don't know. Yeah, all things considered, I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, doing good, doing good. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on and uh, uh, continuing our preview. Uh, Before we jump into the Cardinals, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to St. Louis. um, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, well, I just finished my first year with St. Louis. This is my first year as an MLB beat writer, uh, first year working for The Athletic, all of that good stuff. I graduated from college in 2018 and had just did a variety of internships in baseball from Major League Baseball to Minor League Baseball and uh, found an incredible opportunity in February with The Athletic. I was living in California at the time, had never been to St. Louis, probably couldn't even find it on a map. Uh, not that good at like geography. And it just kind of seemed like the opportunity to go for it. And I'm so glad I did. Uh, it was a whirlwind of a year. Like I learned a lot. Um, and I'm just more excited than anything to continue doing it. 
Awesome. Fantastic. Well, before we jump into the Cardinals, let's kind of update Reds fans where the Cardinals are at. Probably should issue a trigger warning before we we post these slides. Um, if you're watching, uh, might be uh, uh, a little traumatic, but but here we go. Uh, so Cardinals, we all know they've been great uh, since 2000. They have the second best win percentage, second most playoff appearances, and second most playoff series wins in MLB, only behind the Yankees. If you're watching, you see all the trophies. Cardinals have won 10 NL Central titles since 2000. Cubs are at six. Brewers are at three. Reds are at two. And thank God for the Pittsburgh Pirates at zero. Last season, Cardinals opened the season with a wild series, uh, actually in Cincinnati. Uh, if you remember, the Cardinals did win uh, the first game. Uh, then the Reds won two of uh, the last, the next two. Uh, Katie, I believe that was your your first series covering. Uh, what a way yes. to get Get, get started. Uh, Very eventful. Wild series. Cardinals got to a great start on the season. Uh, 25 and 18 record, three and a half games up on May 19th. But it went downhill in June. The Cardinals went 10 and 17, kind of fell out of the NL Central races. The, the Brewers just kind of blew everyone out in the division. Cardinals had a weird trade deadline. Uh, they acquired J.A. Happ and John Lester. Um, I remember, you know, reading Cardinals fans were definitely not happy at the uh, – uh, the trade deadline kind of was felt like just a move just to kind of finish out the season with with arms. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into more of that with Katie in a minute. And then on September 10th, Reds were looking good. Uh, Reds beat the Cardinals 4-2. Uh, we're up three games um, on the Cardinals. Cardinals odds were down to like 2% at some point around there. And then the Cardinals won 17 in a row and uh, broke <laughs> everyone's hearts in Cincinnati. Um See if you're watching, you see the graph. It's it's not pretty, um, but the Cardinals did lose in the wild card game. Chris Taylor uh, hit a walk off home run, uh, but the Cardinals' wild season did not end there. Uh, they fired Mike Schilt, uh, which was pretty shocking. Pretty much shocked the baseball world, and uh, they brought in Ali Marmol. That is correct. That's how you say it, Katie. Right? Ali Marmol, not uh, Oliver. Straight up Ali, like Oliver. Okay. Ali Marmol. Ali Marmol. Um, we'll talk about him in a minute. And then so far in the offseason, the Cardinals have signed uh, Steven Matz, and then they brought back uh, 90-year-old Yadier Molina and 95-year-old Adam Wainwright. So that is where the Cardinals stand right now. Uh, first, Katie, I want to ask you about Mike Schilt, because I'm sure that's probably what most Reds fans are, are most interested about. So the Reds, they collapsed in September. Not really David Bell's fault, but he gets an extension after the Reds collapse. The Cardinals have this historic, incredible run, and Mike Schilt gets fired. So what, what, what's going on there? Well, yeah, it was definitely a very peculiar situation, to put it nicely. Um, after the Cardinals' historic 17-game winning streak that nobody saw coming, and you saw that graph that was like 0 to 100 literally very quick, um, it was figured that Mike Schilt was going to get a contract extension. I mean, he, the Cardinals, like so many other teams, really had to deal with a lot of injuries, but their starting rotation specifically was just decimated. By the middle of June, they had lost Jack Flaherty, who was like their rising ace, like one of the most dynamic pitchers in the game, and two other projected opening day starters. Um, and they were essentially down to like two starting pitchers for three to four weeks. And still somehow Mike Schultz kept that team together. They go on and do this improbable September. They get bounced in the wild card, but all things considered, it seemed like an extension was going to happen. Now, obviously, there was some fallout between Mike Schilt and the front office and president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak. We don't know to what extent, but I will say that it is very fair 
for Cardinals fans, Red fan, Reds fans, baseball fans in general, to have some skepticism and some confusion about why the Cardinals fired Mike Schill. Because keep in mind, they did it in such a just an unorthodox way. They fired him on game five of the NLDS playoffs between the Giants and the Dodgers. Now that is usually a no news day. You know, you have to, if you want to break news and you're a team not in the playoffs right there, not playing that day, you have to ask MLB for explicit permission to make that announcement. So obviously whatever went on was egregious enough for MLB to say, yeah, make that announcement today ahead of what should be all eyes on this big game between two historic rivals. Right? So they Fired him. They let him go. They offered no explanation. Very short notice for the media to even get on the press conference. For example, I was in the Starbucks drive-through, and I got a text, and I was like, "Okay, I don't even have enough time to get like get my order. Let me pull out." Um, and then they go around, and 11 days later, they hire Mike Schultz, right-hand man, and Ollie Marmol. For me, it, and for fans, I think it's completely fair to to be skeptical about how can you have philosophical differences between this former manager and then turn to his right-hand man and say that there won't be the same. So it's still a bit of a, a big kind of confusion. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And there is, well, the, Car- the, the Cardinals organization has always kind of believed in Ali Marmol as being a manager of the future. I don't think it was expected to be this soon, but here we are. Do you think it's safe to say that the Cardinals had made up their mind before the run that they were going to move on? Or do you think it was more of after the season, just something went right wrong in their postseason, um, you know, meetings and discussions. You know, the Cardinals, I, we asked uh, Pre- John Mosellock, their president of baseball operations, at the general manager meetings in November. And the the answer was no, they were not expecting to make a manager change. They're flying home from Los Angeles after losing the wild card game back to St. Louis for their typical end of season meetings. And they fully expected to go into the offseason without a managerial search. So obviously something happened in that week between them losing the game and those meetings, something that the front office felt like couldn't be ignored, it couldn't be resolved, and ultimately they had to show Mike Schultz the door. But it was never their intention to go into 2022, which the front office has long been estimating as their primary season of contention and have to make a change at the manager's seat. That was never part of their plan. Did you get any sense from any of the players if there was any like dissent in that decision uh, or more indifferent or, or anything of that nature? It was definitely a shock. Um, it, for, I mean, it was. It happened so suddenly that players were finding out on Twitter or from other reporters trying to confirm or from just word of mouth. Nobody had any idea that it was coming. Uh, I'm not sure if there was a reception of, of disappointment or anger. Either way, I think it was just kind of confusion as in like, why is this happening? You know, as far as the clubhouse was concerned, there was no animosity there. And I think it was alleviated a little bit by bringing in Marmol, who is, you know, has, knows this clubhouse, works them well. He's young, he's relatable, he's bilingual. He has a great relationship with this clubhouse. So I think that kind of helped ease the questioning. But it still obviously wasn't a great look when the clubhouse is reaching out to each other, to other people in the organization, as all this news is kind of breaking, like, what just happened? But to this organization's credit, they move fast. They this. Cardinals always have a kind of flair for the dramatics. And I think that they've fully moved on from whatever happened with Mike Schill and are focused on one baseball coming back and two, how this clubhouse is going to push forward. Because I think it's pretty obvious that this club is no longer happy with just making the wild card. and would like to win the division. That's, that's fascinating. Certainly it feels like one of those moves that if it works out, they'll be looking great. If, if not, 
Yeah, they've definitely set themselves up. So I guess you got to give them credit for, you know, sticking to their convention convictions because it's definitely a move that can be second guessed. Um, let's move on and talk a little bit about the the team that the the Cardinals are, we think, looking to bring into to 2022 if we ever we ever start a season. And, you know, who knows what what will happen uh, when the lockout does end. Um, if you're watching, here's kind of the the projected roster from from uh, from Fangraphs. Uh Katie, you talked about the rotation last year. I was just so stunned that that they were able to compete with the rotation because I mean it was it was rough at, at it points. Was what do you think about the the current roster as it stands on January twenty fourth? I like it. Um, I'll I'll start with the the glaring positives of that is that the Cardinals defense figures to once again be one of the best in, in baseball. Um, they have five returning Gold Glovers, six. Uh, Six, nom- six nominations that were able to come back. They have a pretty high roster retention rate. I think you saw fantastic signs out of Paul Goldschmidt, Tyler O'Neill, and Harrison Bader, especially towards the end of the season. Dylan Carlson has had a wonderful, like, true rookie year, though he debuted in that weird 2020 shortened season. Um, I think the factors here are going to be Nolan Arnato. I mean, no one's complaining about the season that he had. I mean, you had over 30 home runs, over 100 RBI, but the average was lower, and he's went on the record multiple times and said, I'm not happy with my performance here. So I think if he can adjust to the stadium in his second year and see a little bit higher production, that will be kind of the, the golden factor. And also what are the Cardinals going to do at shortstop right now? Paul DeYoung is projected to start Edmundo Sosa could slot in. They have Nolan Gorman, who's their top prospect. That's debut in 2022. Tommy Edmund can play all over the field. It's a question of where does Paul DeYoung fit in? Can he bounce back? If the universal DH is brought to the national league, how can they kind of maneuver their lineup there? Um, but for me, the question is the rotation. No one here is, is really doubting Adam Wainwright at this point, uh, but I know that it is a completely fair to say, well, he's going to be 40 years old this season. Are you really relying on a 40-year-old to lead your rotation? The answer to that is partly. They're also relying on a healthy Jack Flaherty, who up until last season has never had any kind of injury history before. That was never been a concern we saw what he did in 2019 in that second half stunning season that he put on. And then he's not been able to get back there all the way. 2020 wasn't necessarily his fault. That was an anomaly for everybody. Uh, 2021, he looked great in the beginning and those injuries kind of derailed all of that. So the hope is that Wainwright and Flaherty can kind of combine as a one-two combo for the aces. Steven Matz, left-hander sinker ball guy should pair well with that Cardinals defense. He was identified as their primary target in the offseason to get as a free agent. And then you have a couple question marks with Dakota Hudson and Miles Michaelis, both coming off significant injuries. Both showed signs of optimism and better performance towards the end of the year in the regular season when they were able to come back. But of course, Dakota Hudson's coming back from Tommy John. Miles Michaelis has missed the most parts of 2020 and 2021. They're counting on that back in the rotation to stay healthy after those big injuries. It's a little questionable. You mentioned the defense, and I know Reds fans are sick of me talking about defense, but I feel like that was one of the biggest differences between the Reds and, and Cardinals this year. You know, it was kind of like the the silent killer over the year for the Reds because the Reds Reds defense wasn't very good, especially in the outfield. As someone who watched the team all year, can you kind of tell us just you know what what that does their numbers were through the roof with like outs above average and and things like that? What what are they actually like in in person with their um, with their defense? Well, for the Cardinals, it starts in the spring. Defense and fundamentals have always kind of been emphasized as the, as the team's primary focus. 
And it was something that even Nolan Arnato didn't understand until he got to the organization. I mean, this is the guy that's won a platinum glove multiple times. He's had a gold glove in every season that he's ever played. It's a guy who knows a lot about defense, right? And during spring training, he remarked to the reporters a couple when I think early on in the regular season, that he was stunned at how much the Cardinals practice like routine defense and fundamentals and these plays. And then one day they won a game based on defensive strategy, defensive positioning, and executing, uh, taking advantage of mistakes on the bases by the opposing team, being shifted correctly and making these plays that we often take for granted as, as baseball fans. And he said it clicked. He said, that's why we practice so much. It's emphasized throughout their entire season. Um, obviously you want good, good quality starting pitching. You want a, a high lethal offense, but when you play at a pitcher stadium like Bush Stadium, you have to rely on the defense to kind of make that more friendly for for your pitchers. And I don't think any guy on that team takes defense for granted. It's instilled in them early on in the minor leagues that this is what we emphasize. You have to be good at defense. You have to know your fundamentals and you can't take, take plays off. And that's what I think makes them such a good defensive team is because they take that very seriously. Yeah. Over the course of 162, that's, that's a big difference there to, especially to be a pitching staff that, you know, is so young. Because if, if you've got a, a, a defense behind you, you know, that's that's some of the pressure that's taken off of you as a pitcher. You don't feel like you have to be so fine with everything. You can get away with, you know, somebody's power zone hitting in the opposite field when you know you got two, you know, athletes out there that odds are going to run that ball down. And so that's that's a big deal with a young pitching squad. Absolutely. And you saw guys even that were older, like John Lester and Jay Happ, credit the defense. I mean, both Lester and Happ, when the Cardinals traded for them, I know we talked about this earlier, it was kind of just like, what? Like, this 2021, not 2015, yeah. in case anyone hasn't looked at a calendar lately. But to their credit and to the credit of the defense and the Cardinals pitching coach, Mike Maddox, and their staff, both guys were able to reinvent themselves throughout that second half. And both played a direct part in the Cardinals' post eventual postseason berth. And when you ask them, especially John Lester and, and how he was able to reinvent himself. He gave all the credit to the defense behind him, saying he's much more confident in pitching, knowing if he puts something on the ground, 99% of the time that out's going to be made. So it definitely pays off all around. Oh, we know sure. how we know how important uh, Lester and Hap were in September. Uh, I think the Reds scored like 15 runs off off Hap when he was with the Twins earlier in the year, and then he he like dominated the Reds in back to back starts in <laughs> September. September uh, was wild, you guys. It was just wild for everyone involved. Yeah, I need, to, I need I need to hear your your part of that. How that run was that 17 game stretch. Sometimes I forget that it happened. I think because it just seems so unreal you you watch them put together a couple games and they do this all season long they put together a couple games where they look good and you think okay this is it this is where they finally get it together because i had conversations with guys even when they were playing some of their most dreadful baseball i said if you guys honestly think you're going to make the playoffs let me know i will continue writing it but the second that it becomes like kind of a wash and you no longer believe in it let me know so I can phrase that accordingly. I'm not going to go over here and blindly write that you guys still believe you can make it when your odds, like Adam Wainwright said, were 400 percent to make like to make the playoffs. But they believed it. They all season long. They said, "No, we have the team. We have the talent. We're going to get hot at the right time, and we're going to make a run." Now, I don't think when they said they were going to make a run that they meant 17 straight games and setting a new franchise record. But that's what they did, and it was just amazing to see because no matter who they were, or who they were playing, or where they were at. They won the game doing something differently every single time. I mean, 
you guys want to talk about September collapses, I think while the Reds wasn't ideal, at least it wasn't the Padres. I mean, the Padres came to Bush Stadium and the Cardinals made them look like a Little League team, essentially. Like that, I think, truly ended their, the, like that was the dagger for the Padres. And then they just kept going. It was like the more people said, there's no way they're doing this, the more the team was like, no, we're going to do this. And then they go in, take care of business against the Mets. Another team they were facing the wild card standings held their own against the Brewers, came back, somehow swept the Cubs involving this like, 20 person double play no matter what happened they kept winning and they did just get hot at the right time but unfortunately for st louis fans got smothered out real quick as soon as the postseason started carlos i don't you i'm sure you don't know this katie carlos came up in the reds minor league system and made the major leagues with the padres so what the the cardinals did in september was just like (laughs) two swords no carlos they had no respect for you that's just double whammy i hated that that streak it yeah, was like they got was, to like 10 games and were like, oh, let's check the Cardinals score. I'm sure they're winning. Yep. It was no, it was, it was and really like, strange. Oh, they're down. They're down four. It's, it's the seventh inning. Hell yeah. Nope. They won that game too. I had to rewrite a lot of stories. It makes you feel better, Carlos. The first Padre or the first major league team I ever covered was the Padres. I spent a year there. I love San Diego and I was texting the writers there and I'm still like, what's, what's happening? <laughs> what, what's going on? Nobody knew. That was just. Two complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Winning, winning 17 games in a row is insane, but doing it like when you you had to, well, actually they didn't end up having to, they ended up like clinching with like four days left, which was just insane based on where they were like two weeks before. Uh, wild. Um, I did want to talk about uh, a guy that I, I, uh, I, I got to admit, I, I just, I, I really like him and I, I know that you've wrote a lot of stuff about him. Tyler O'Neill. Um, you said that he, he, uh, you think he could emerge as an MVP candidate. I'm, I'm with you. I, I think he, his ceiling is super high. Tell us more about Tyler O'Neill. You know, Tyler O'Neill, he's someone that I think kind of always had the potential. 2020, we saw the defense. I mean, he won gold glove in 2020 in left field, but it was always how he was more of a, like a two true outcome hitter. He would either home run, strike out. And he really, to his credit, went into 2021 with a focus on being more versatile. This guy is strong as heck. I mean, I think he could, like, crush my entire head with his biceps. Like, it is unnatural how strong he is. He's also super fast. What he did was kind of refocus his his strategy at the plate by emphasizing pitch selection, by being patient, working counts. We saw better pitch selection. And he really emphasized that throughout the season. And what I liked about Tyler was he wasn't afraid – to make these mistakes and endure the growing pains. And it actually sped up his maturation throughout the game, I think. So he was able to be that September hero the Cardinals needed. I think of Tyler O'Neill as a centerpiece of the future, kind of like how I think Jonathan India for the Reds. He's a guy that's easy to root for. He's entertaining. And the ceiling is really high, like India. And I think it's almost like opposing fan bases want to dislike this guy because he does damage against their team but they can't because he's entertaining. Like that video that circled uh, with Jonathan India at the uh, Cincinnati football game where it was really cool, you know, talking to a, to a kid and making sure he has season tickets or to whatever game he wants. Cardinals fans were like, oh man, wish I could hate that guy, but I can't. And I think that's kind of the effect that Tyler O'Neill has throughout the division. Really exciting guy if you're the Cardinals, very threatening guy if you're a division opponent. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, that assessment, Katie. Before we get you out of here, um, tell us what do you 
do you have any sort of pulse on on what the Cardinals might do if this lockout ever ends? Um, I think you wrote about you know maybe looking for more bullpen pieces. Um, I know there was a report that came out that that they weren't in on any of the uh, the top shortstops. Uh, what what's kind of your your pulses as we uh, hopefully get towards the spring training here at some point? Yeah, you know the Cardinals were never going to fork over the amount of money necessary to land one of those top premier shortstops because they didn't necessarily need to. Um, their biggest need was starting pitching, which they think they locked up with Stephen Matz. I could make the argument that they need a little bit more, but I'm not in the front office. Um, what you saw for guys like Corey Seager, uh, what you're going to see for guys like Trevor Story is just not what something that the Cardinals were going to put up. They prefer to operate conservatively. I don't want to say cheaply because they do spend money. Um, this is not a, a penny-pinching organization by any means, but especially from the free agent market historically, they've really kind of operated incrementally conservatively and trying to find small additions to boost the team. That's why I think whenever the lockout is over, potentially when slash if they'll put a more of a focus on relief pitching. Um, they still need pitching depth that was identified early on in November, whether it was starting pitching or relief pitching as things that they needed. So I think they'll make a play on that relief pitcher market. That's a market that we saw that was pretty slow before the lockout. There wasn't a lot of circling in or checking in on relief pitchers because that market just was kind of, I think looked at the industry as something that could wait. Um, it was kind of lock up these big free agents in this frenzy. Now I expect the same kind of frenzy to happen once this lockout ends, it, because you'll have such a limited time for all these front offices to make decisions on how they're going to bolster their roster. Cause I mean, we know how this is going to go, right? Lockout's going to end. And it's going to be like, okay, surprise. You have like seven days to get to spring training. Everybody go. So you're going to see this like big frenzy of moves as people and organizations try to sign players to bolster their roster. I believe the Cardinals will be in on that, but I think it'll be more relief pitching, maybe some bench depth if the universal DH comes, but I don't think they'll be in play for any major free agents. Man, beat riders, you guys are going to get zero sleep once the lockout <laughs> ends from then until like halfway through spring training. It's going to be nonstop. That's why I keep trying to say, like, enjoy this moment, because as soon as baseball comes back, it's always like zero to 100. It's never let me just ease into this. You know, it's like we're going to get slammed and that's OK. Yeah. And maybe by like May, we'll have some sort of a semblance again, just in time for like the trade deadline. And then that wild, you know, September baseball. Yeah, Very you're not going to get a little spring training to to get ready for the season and no. like, Oh, I think I'll write something today. Nope. Yeah, The best part about spring training, it's like, it's supposed to be a warm up, and we're not going to yeah. get that. Mm -mm. Not even close. Uh, one last question for you. I'm asking everyone that, that comes on in, in Cincinnati, we've seen a real turn in the last couple of years against ownership. And uh, I'm curious about each of the other teams in the division, What's the general sense that you have from Cardinals fans? And I'm not talking about the the the, the bipolar ones. I'm talking the more you know rational, semi-rational fans. How, how do Cardinals fans uh, approach ownership? What's their thoughts on on the current ownership group for the Cardinals? You know, that's funny because we just ran a survey and the results will be out this week about how Cardinals fans feel about the state of the franchise. And the ownership was a big a big comment section. No one, I think Cardinals fans know that they have it relatively well when you look at franchises in the history of St. Louis. Um, for example, I, the exact number is something me, but I don't think the Cardinals have had a losing streak under John Mozalek's tenure as general manager slash president of baseball operations in 14 years. They are consistently competitive. They are consistently in the playoff conversations, even when they shouldn't be like we saw last year. 
they know that they have it much better than organizations like not to pull anyone out but like the orioles or the rockies or something like that if you're a fan of those teams i'm sorry i feel you now they also know that they can still be and believe me they are tense and maybe a little bit frustrated that the cardinals haven't been able to advance to the world series in a decade now that sounds a little laughable when you are a fan base of other teams you're like seriously it's only been 10 years but this is a part well in this case it's been 12 um since they've won the cardinals i think are a little bit more you know since cardinals fans are so used to the organization winning they can act a little bit more strongly uh they know they have it good with ownership it's that it's not as excellent was the biggest answer i got was this is a great franchise but it can't be excellent without a ring cardinals haven't had a ring since 2011. now coming from both sides of the spectrum i can see where cardinals fans are disappointed by that and frustrated they're used to competing consistently they're used to doing better than a wild card first round elimination that does not mean fans like the pirates are going to understand where they're coming from so i 100 see both sides i think to wrap it up cardinals fans are satisfied with ownership and how the team is run but are growing antsy because it has been in their defense nearly 10 years since the cardinals went to the world series i can just hear half of our listeners screaming at the monitor right now punching oh, bleep, bleep, and it's justified bleep. it's justified i hear you i'm not saying you're you're wrong i get it i grew up a giants fan um and it was rough out there for a really long time and then they won three world series and then called it a day um, but I get it. I understand the pain. I do. All right, real quick. I'm sorry. I got one more thing. Um, the uh, the Cardinals top top prospects. They got pipeline. I know the Athletic has your own version um, as well. Any uh, prospects that you see? I know Gorman and uh, Libator are both really close. That that could have a major impact here in 2022. Yeah, those are the two guys. Um, that's part of the reason why the Cardinals are so optimistic about 2022. Is their top two prospects are coming up. Um, I would imagine we see Nolan Gorman before we see Matthew Libertor, just because um, I think there'll be a bigger need for Gorman, especially if there is a DH. And Libertor is one of their, it's, he's their top pitching prospect. If something happens to the rotation, they're going to want Libertor to slot in, but not until he's ready. I do not think they're going to rush either of these guys up until they're absolutely ready. That's how highly they think of these young guys. Fun fact, they're actually also best friends from high school. And now they're like the top two prospects in the organization. Um, but yeah, those are the two that I would pick that are going to make an impact at some point in 2022. If I had to pick a time frame for when they debut, I'd say around midsummer. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your insight. And um, where can people find you who uh, uh, who, who want to keep up with, with your work and how you cover the team? And, and what are you working on uh, uh, the rest of the offseason? A great question i just kind of wait for the ideas to come to me uh, <laughs> we're gonna do some some fun like roster construction the pose the pros and cons of, of like the starting rotation of if there's going to be a dh stuff like that we've been doing a lot of collaborations on the athletic where you can find my work the athletic.com mlb the athletic.com cardinals um and on twitter at katie that's my at um yeah that's it's a weird time to be a baseball fan and a baseball writer, but I like to think of myself as an eternal optimist, and hopefully we will have more things to talk about soon. Fantastic. Well, well, thank you so much. Uh, we'll let you get out of here. Um, best of luck on uh, covering the team. We won't say best of luck on the Cardinals, but we'll, I understand. We, we wish you the best personally and professionally. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate the time.
All right. Well, that was uh, Katie Wu. Really cool uh, uh, to hear her takes on the Cardinals and kind of where where they stand as we uh, hopefully get towards um, um, a baseball season. And uh, yeah, uh, Branch, thanks for the comment. I agree. We uh, we really appreciated Katie uh, taking the time to come on and uh, uh, talk about the Cardinals. We hope you're enjoying this series. Uh, not sure if Reds fans are. We figured this was better than like I don't know ranking our top 10 moments or whatever the heck else we could do, you know, the rest of this off season. Um, but let's talk with, there's a little bit of baseball news uh, today. Um, MLB lockout. They, they finally, uh, the MLB and the players association finally met today. Uh, basically long story short, um, the uh, players uh, are willing to give up uh free agency being moved sooner, which sounds like a pretty big concession. Um, They are meeting again tomorrow, which is good. I mean, two days in a row is, you know, at least the start of something. Um, But there, there was definitely some tension as I'm sure you would expect from, from the reports. And um, one of the real interesting that caught my eye was uh, uh, a report that, um, MLB owners made it apparent that they don't care if the season gets delayed, uh, or at least kind of gave that uh, stance. Hopefully, that's that's uh, hopefully that's a, a, a posture. Um, I don't know, Carlos. What do you think about you know some of the news that we saw? Um, you have any sort of optimism from it? Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say I don't. I don't think there's really much optimism to be gained from what happened today. Um, but I was watching the MLB network earlier and Mad Dog Russo was talking about how the owners don't care if they lose these April games because they don't make money in April. You know, it's too cold usually for most teams to fill the stands and it's the beginning of the season and their sports are winding down. Um, but, and that's something I never thought about, but which makes total sense, which the players, you know, they want to get their 162 games in. So, you know, the the owners are okay w- w- with missing games in April, I believe, and I just I had never thought of it that way, and it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, the thing that I find interesting is um, if they're giving up the getting to free agency quicker, does that maybe make the Jonathan Indias and the the younger players kind of like, hey, you know what, what's in it for us holding out? you know, much longer, do they start putting more pressure on, you know, the guys that are more established that, that kind of want, you know, different things. Um, I, I wonder if that kind of changes the, um, uh, the mindset. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, definitely Cincinnati makes a lot of money on opening day. Um, after that, you know, I, I don't know. There's a lot of empty stadiums. I mean, they're still going to lose money on TV though. You know, the, the TV contracts are going to be, I would assume be prorated, um, yeah. And, that, and that's, that's still a major moneymaker. I mean, I know in Cincinnati, I mean, it's typically the number one or number two television show in Cincinnati every night, any night of the season. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, um, I think that really stinks is just, you know, as we, we, we talked about, we talked about spring training is, is like, you know, these places, especially out in Arizona, like that rely on this income. 2020, they had their spring training cut short. 2021, it wasn't a real spring training. I mean, you know, they didn't have nearly the amount of fans coming out because a lot of people didn't want to travel. 
Um, and then, you know, they were hoping, you know, hey, 2022 be, you know, big, big revenue will get back. And, and no one's booking tickets to fly out to Arizona right now because they have no idea when this thing's going to start. I just the the outside consequences of this is really what what I think stinks the most is, you know, all these people that make a living, you know, off of baseball and, and, and you know, writing about baseball and all this stuff. And that's just man, that's that's what really I think I think stinks the most about this. Yeah, well, it's the it's the business part that nobody likes to talk of, and we got to do it every four years, so yeah, or whatever it is. How CBA? I forget what it is. Four or five? I think it's six. I hope to God it's six. I, I hope is it six. I don't know. Yeah. I hope. I hope. I'm afraid that this is going to be the norm every however many years it is. I'm afraid it's going to be like the NBA is like this. I believe you know where they're always you know lockouts or threatening of lockouts. Um. I would hope that that we could get back at some point, but and you keep doing this every couple of years. It's it's bad for the brand. Um, it really is. Um, and speaking of the brand, nice little transition there. Um, the Reds, the Reds. I tell you what, for you know, team that's in, you know team that's in a uh, league that's in a lockout right now, uh, it's pretty hard to to brand your players. But Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson. Um, uh, I'm not going to rehash the Jonathan India story because everyone at this point knows it, but how cool was that? And uh, Tyler Stevenson, you know, jumping on the, the Bengals bandwagon. Um, I think it's really cool that these guys have, have really embraced Cincinnati. And, uh, um, you know, we haven't seen this with, with every place. There's certainly been a lot of players throughout the years that have, but um, to have like the two young you know, cornerstone pieces of your team really embracing the city. I just think it's really cool. What What are your thoughts about you know, kind of how they're they're marketing themselves? And right now, I mean, they are literally the only people, only thing marketing players in Cincinnati right now. Uh, I mean, I think it's cool. I think it's just a a way of the times now. Like, you know, Twitter is everybody has a Twitter. I mean, probably most kids in middle school have a Twitter account. It's it's what they grew up doing. Um, it's just their way of, you know, just showing that they're behind them. And hopefully, you know, whenever the Reds are in the playoffs this year, they can get the support from some Joey B and, and chase and the boys, which will be, will be cool. Um, it's just something to get excited about. I mean, it, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, last piece of news of the week. Uh, robot umpires are coming to AAA. Uh, I think anyone who's followed me for a week knows that I am in support of robot umpires. So uh, I am very excited about this. It seems like, feels like maybe it's finally getting close. Um, long overdue. Carlos, what's your, your thoughts on, uh, on, on robot umpires in AAA? It seems like that's pretty quick to get there already with, you know, so many like negative things being, you know, said about it with, you know, with breaking balls and stuff like that. But for it to be at triple A, that means this, this thing's coming pretty soon. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm in favor of having robo umps, something to quit missing so many calls, like important calls, especially, you know, to get in a consistent strike zone and, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not against it. I'm not totally for it. I'd probably say I'm like 60, 40, something like that. And then maybe 10% undecided. What do you think it would be a joke right there for you? (laughs) What do you think it would be like being a pitcher that pitches in triple a and you have the robot umps and then you go, you call it up 
And I saw saw someone talking about, you know, like there's a lot of players that that get, you know, shuffled back and forth like all year. Like, how do you th- how would you adjust to that? I don't really think you can do anything other than just pitch your normal game. I mean, if you're going to be getting used to the to robo umps, then I don't know. You just got to hang with them. There's, I mean, there's no really. I don't think a, a pitcher is going to go into one game to the next unless there's some sort of like loophole, like we're talking about breaking balls that they can take advantage of. I don't. I don't think they're going to have a different mindset on on what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be pitches that are called different, you know, because you know, with the robot umps is going to be you know very straightforward, and you know certain calls that 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 are technically strikes that get called balls all the time, like art. And that's going to be a, a, a wild adjustment. Um, uh, you know, kind of as we, uh, I can't wait until like just a pitch doesn't register. Like somebody throws like a 98 mile an hour sinker and it catches like the outer third and there's no signal. If it's a strike or a ball and everybody's like looking back at the ump. <laughs> Like, I, I'm assuming I'm assuming the ump has to like be locked into every pitch as like the the backup or the the fall man. I don't know. Maybe they you know may, maybe they would go to replay. I guess that's something kind of to see how that gets ironed out in AAA. Oh, yeah, that when would that be so does. awesome! Go to replay every other. Yeah, game. go to replay for a, a ball or strike. Um, I would assume it's just it's just the umpire, and if if it doesn't come through in five seconds, that their call is it, and and then that's it. Yeah, you could have some some wild. You know, controversy is always, uh, always good for the sport. Yeah, so uh, next week we will be back. We're going to do uh, the Pirates preview, and then the week after that we got the Brewers. Uh, and then hopefully we are inching towards spring training, and um, um, we'll start getting you know some real news to talk about. Um, but if you haven't, make sure you are subscribed to us um, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, iHeart wherever we're on just about everything. And if we're not on something, let me know and I'll, I'll get us up on there. Uh, give us a rate review. Uh, five stars would be appreciated. If you don't like the show, just, just leave it alone. Um, no one needs your negative comments. And as always, we are uh, sponsored by bet online. Uh, so go check them out uh, until next time. Go reds.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.